The people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah 9:2. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8:12. Why do we light this candle? This candle reminds us of the promise that a Messiah would come, bringing the peace and love to the world. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah 9:2. Prepare the way for the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 3. Day 1. Jesus. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21. The name Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. In Bible times, it was not an uncommon name, just like Jesus himself didn't appear out of the ordinary to those who grew up with him. Yet his given name holds great significance to who he is and what he did on earth. In the Old Testament, Joshua led the Israelites into Canaan. He saved the people through courageous leadership, charging into battle upon bloody battle, leading hundreds of thousands into the Promised Land. In contrast to the first Joshua, the second Joshua, or Jesus, saved through an epic battle that he fought alone, quietly making the way for his people to enter the Promised Land of God's presence. Jesus came to save people from their sins. What that first Joshua was powerless to do, the second Joshua was born to accomplish. During Jesus' lifetime, the Israelites were waiting for a political leader like Joshua who would free them from the yoke of Roman oppression and allow them to live in the land God had promised them, just as their forefathers had been freed from Egyptian, Egyptian slavery and led into Canaan. They wanted a macho man who would reinstate Israel as an autonomous country and make the Romans run in fear. But Jesus' perspective is always bigger than ours. His gaze was set on the universal dilemma of sin. His battle was one of cosmic proportions to, to deliver all who believe in him from the bondage of soul-deadening sin and welcome us into the family of God. Lord, we come before you and we just thank you for being able to prepare our hearts and minds and our bodies for uh, the celebration of the coming Messiah. Uh, we know that you came and you lived perfectly and you uh, were born perfectly and pure through the Virgin Mary and you ministered and healed and um, were the perfect sacrifice and atonement for our sins and, and you died and you rose again and you were back at your rightful, rightful place at the right hand of God waiting to uh, come again. So in, in present day we await the, the second Christmas so to speak and so I just thank you for being able to be here with Tim and uh, all of our kids and enjoy preparing other people's hearts uh, the coming king to return a second time but also to uh, remember the first time you arrived uh, here on earth amongst us so just help us to put our faith in the one true hope and not political leaders or any kind of force that would uh, maybe momentarily momentarily uh, allow us to be free but the only hope that makes us eternally free in jesus name amen amen, amen. day two Jesus is the resurrection and the life. 
I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. John 11:25. Many people's greatest fear is death. For those who do not believe in God, the thought of dying can be overwhelming, since they don't know what awaits them once they pass away. Martha and Mary faced the reality of death when their brother, Lazarus, Lazarus died of a severe illness. He was most likely their sole protector and provider, since neither husbands nor parents are mentioned in their stories. Martha demonstrated her faith in Jesus when she asked him to resurrect her brother because God will give you whatever you ask, John 11:22. Although Martha properly acknowledged Jesus' relationship with his father, she failed to understand that Jesus himself is the resurrection and life. The power of life and death are in Jesus. He spoke the world into existence and breathed life into Adam. He carefully fashions every child in their mother's womb, and several times in the New Testament, he filled dead bodies with life again. See for further study notes below. Cut that out. Jesus nullified death's hold on. Sorry, let me say it. Jesus nullified death's hold on his creation when he willingly laid down his own life. He didn't stop or end death. He overcame it by entering it and annihilating it uh, from within, rising from the dead without requiring anyone's intervention. As scripture says, death has been swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15.54 or 1 Chronicles 15.54 Because Jesus rose to life, we who have believed in him have also been raised to life with him. Although we groan with creation under the weight of the current decay death causes in the world, we do not mourn at those without hope. Even in the face of death, whether a cancer diagnosis or a, an empty place at the holiday table, we embrace the hope of a physical resurrection, ours and that of all who belong to Jesus. But resurrection is not just a future event. Jesus' words in this passage remind us that resurrection is also a current reality. Those who believe in Jesus will ultimately never die. We may experience temporary physical death, but our souls and spirits will continue to live until we receive glorified bodies. We are a resurrected people. And when Jesus returns, we will fully enter his resurrection, body, soul, and spirit. On that day, we will join the chorus of believers who will cheer our resurrected Lord and taunt our former enemy. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? 1 Corinthians 15.55 Jesus' historical resurrection gives us hope both for today and for the future. Death is defeated in Jesus as he transitions us from temporal life to life eternal. We live the lives of the resurrected. Dear Lord, we come before you. We are so thankful for this week. We're thankful for um, just giving your son Jesus for our sins to be the resurrection, to be the hope that we can have in the future as we go forward in this life while we're still here waiting for you, uh, that we have this hope, that we have this peace, that we can rest uh, at night after a long day, trusting in you as our salvation in in, uh, in our hope because of your resurrection. So we just thank you for this season. Thank you for um, coming uh, to us uh, as a, a human so that we can live this life as well, um, following after you, and then again that you rose again from the dead, uh, unlike any other religion, Father. And, uh, and we know that you live 
for and are waiting for us today as we are for you. So we're, th- we're thankful for that. We're thankful for the hope and peace you've given us and blessed us with. And we pray that you would help us to be motivated by that, to keep you, our eyes on you as we uh, seek out your glory here on earth. We pray all this in your holy, mighty name. Amen. Day three, Jesus is the King of Kings. Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Matthew 2, 2. At both the beginning and the end of Jesus' physical life, Gentiles proclaimed his kingship. The wise men were the first non-Jews to seek out Jesus, and they came because the cosmos announced his birth in such a glorious manner that they concluded it must be for royalty. Acknowledging the crime for which Jesus was being crucified, Pilate ordered that a placard be fastened to the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The Jews themselves did not acknowledge Jesus as their king and wanted Pilate to change the sign, but he refused. Despite their refusal to recognize Jesus' kingship, Jesus is king. He came to rule what is rightfully his, both due to his lineage and to his creation ownership. Matthew dedicates the first part of Jesus' narrative to his genealogy, carefully tracing his lineage to David's royal blood. And Luke outlines Jesus' family tree all the way back to Adam, son of God. Perhaps the most fitting moment of worship in the New Testament is when Jesus entered Jerusalem victoriously riding on a donkey, the crowds praising God and shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Luke 19.38 Although many in the crowd may not have understood that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, such praise befits the King of Kings. And we who have the benefit of the entire New Testament narrative have ample reason to bow our knees in praise and adoration. Jesus came first as a humble king, but he will return as a warrior king to claim what is rightfully his. John tells us of the present reality in heaven. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Revelation 19.16. The King of Glory is not absent from his kingdom. He is patiently awaiting the time when he will come again to establish his kingdom. We do not trifle with a weakling, nor do we worship an incompetent wannabe rock star. We worship the King of Kings who deserves all honor and glory and continually receives it from the heavens, creation, angels, and the chorus of his redeemed. Who is this King of Glory? His name is Jesus. Dear Jesus, just come before you and just like the last uh, last phrase said, uh, who is this King of Glory? His name is Jesus. Um, just that name alone, uh, just hearing about that, just reminds me of how many times we hear people take your name in vain, whether it's uh, you, the Father, God, or Jesus Christ, your Son, or even the Holy Spirit in certain ways. And we understand if we just observe, no one ever says, oh, Allah, or oh, Buddha, or or any of those other uh, false gods. Uh, Your name holds weight, and your name holds authority. And so even though your name is blasphemed uh, at at the mouths of uh, unbelievers, but also even, sadly, uh, us who believe, we know that um, something negative like that shows proof of your authority. And so we uh, we hope and we pray that we will only say your name in proclamation uh, to your glory and to your second coming, uh, like they did uh, in your first coming here on this earth. So we just pray this, uh, that we would honor your name and your legacy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Day 4. Jesus is the light of the world. 
The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John 1 9. Throughout Scripture, darkness often represents evil and falsehood, while light represents goodness, truth, and holiness. We naturally fill our homes with light and do our best to avoid dark places where danger may linger in the shadows. Therefore, it comes as no surprise that Jesus assumes this title, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8:12. But there is more to that statement than we may first realize. Jesus illuminates our lives with his brilliance, shining into every nook and cranny. Even the revelation of hidden sin is a gift, like the fortunate early diagnosis of a deadly cancer. He reveals not only our sins, but also all that is beautiful surrounding us. He awakens our souls to see the history of redemption and the wonderful works of God all around us. As David says, in your light we see light, Psalm 36, 9. Those who believe in Jesus will go to be with him. At death, those separated from him will enter darkness and gloom, but we will live in everlasting light and joy with Jesus. This truth gives us hope because no matter how gloomy our lives may be this side of eternity, we know that our future destination is in the kingdom of light where there will be no, no night, no darkness, no tears, and no distress. As Jesus is the light of the world, as he sends us as lights into the world to illuminate our surroundings with his love and life, just as the moon reflects the sun's light, so we also reflect Jesus' light, loving our families and our neighbors, serving our church and community with our spiritual gifts, and sharing truth and love in a bleak world. Jesus, the light of the world, has placed us in a particular time and place in history, in the lives of specific people, within a within a specific place to shine brightly for him, holding forth the word of life in a million different little ways, Philippians 2, 14 through 16. We carry this light within us. As those who see, it cannot help but be attracted to the light. The true light desires to give light to everyone. And what's more amazing, he wants us to use it. Use, he wants to use us, his people, to spread that light. Father, we thank you for being the light of the world. Jesus, we thank you for coming into the world to be the light so that we have an example to follow, so we as uh, men have an example to lead our families by and, and our families have an example to read about and learn about you. And we thank you for your word as well, leaving that behind um, and your Holy Spirit uh, as you went to prepare a place ahead of us. And we look forward to that time, Father. We look forward to um, meeting you face to face and uh, we thank you so much for the opportunities we have uh, and the things we're so blessed with, uh, having multiple copies of your word and um, being able to study and, and learn more about you. And we lift up those right now, Lord, around the world that don't have a copy of your word and, and maybe have never even heard about you before. We pray that you would help us to be bold. We pray that you would convict us in our hearts, help the Holy Spirit to convict us um, and those listening to just be, um, be a light as you are a light and, uh, and use the spiritual gifts you've blessed us with to share those things and the good news with those around us. We thank you for all of this, Lord, and we pray this in your holy and mighty name. Amen. Amen. Day five. Jesus is the Christ, or Messiah. When he, King Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Matthew 2, 4. Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew term Messiah which means the anointed one. In Old Testament times, anointing signified being set aside for service, 
particularly as a king or priest. Jesus came not as an anointed one, but as the anointed one, both king and priest, set apart not by any man, but by God himself. When John the Baptist appeared on the scene, his contemporaries were attracted to his fierce preaching and rugged appearance. Many were convinced he was the Messiah, but he repeatedly told them he was only the forerunner and called the people to repent in preparation for the Messiah's arrival. The scene was set, and many waited with bated breath to meet the one who would deliver them from all their enemies. Except Jesus wasn't what they expected. The Jews wanted a military leader who would liberate them from the Roman oppression. But Jesus was meek and quiet in spirit. They wanted an established leader, one the rulers of the world would listen to and respect. But Jesus was born in questionable circumstances and possessed no earthly valuables. They wanted a poster child for Jewish superiority, but Jesus hung out with outcasts and upended cultural norms. In short, many Jews were disappointed in Jesus, but the Christ did not come to win a popularity contest. Jesus is the one on whom all history hinges. All kings and priests before Jesus pointed to him. Prophets spoke about him. The Magi brought gifts for him. John the Baptist prepared the people for him and the Father anointed him. And as we move forward, we still look back, counting the years since his coming. The dating system we use today is based on the number of years since Jesus' approximate birth, and circling calendar events celebrating his birth, death, and resurrection. Jesus was God's answer to Israel's prayers. He was the Messiah, but they rejected him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1, 11 through 12. So gratefully we celebrate him as the Christ, the anointed one, not just for Israel, but for all humankind who believe in him. Dear Jesus, uh, thank you again just for uh, the truth that we get through this, the devotion uh, with your scripture in and just uh, commentary of all that did come and that all that is to come. And thank you that you sent your son Jesus to break that uh, that order where we had to have all these rules in order to come into your presence, uh, and that Jesus coming is the one that uh, made it to where we can have direct access to you through uh, receiving your son Jesus in faith and repentance and making him uh, the king of our lives, Lord. And even just that, thank you for your Holy Spirit that convicted of it convicted us of that because uh, even while we were still sinners you died for us and even though we are dead in our sins your holy spirit uh, woke us up to our our sin and our need for our king and so uh, we cannot take credit for that and we just give you all the glory for that and thank you that um, you both came forcefully but also without condemnation condemnation so that we could live uh, through you and to receive the father's love every uh, promise that he gives to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.